Hey everyone, I'm Lee Jen along with Nathan Bashez. Hello. And this is Means of Creation, a show where we deep dive into the passion economy and the future of work. This show is brought to you by Every, a writer collective that's focused on business. This week on the show, we're welcoming one of our favorite people and friends, Jared Dicker. Jared recently had a very exciting career transition where he moved from the Washington Post, where he was the VP of Commercial Technology and Development, to his current role, which is as a partner at TCG, which is an investment firm, helping to drive their investments into early stage startups, particularly in crypto. Yeah, and if you don't know TCG or the Chernin Group as it's known sometimes, I mean, these are classic consumer investors, media investors. As soon as I started getting interested in sort of the intersection of tech and media, everyone kept pointing me in the direction of the Chernin Group, and for good reason. I mean, they've backed some of the most interesting companies in this space, like Crunchyroll, Barstool Sports. Food52. Yeah. They're investors in Substack, a lot of other really great businesses. And I think Jared has such an interesting role there and is such a perfect fit for the firm because when I think of go-to people that I love talking to about the future of consumer technology and the intersection of crypto with consumer tech, Jared is honestly one of the first people that I always turn to to discuss these topics. He is just so plugged into all of these different pockets that are really exciting on the internet. He's been studying the intersection of media and entertainment and technology for a really long time. And so this conversation winds its way between the investment themes that he's really excited about, where he thinks crypto is going to intersect with consumer applications. We talk about media DAOs and whether publications should be structured as DAOs rather than LLCs or as corporations. And just his past work experiences, the creator economy, how legacy companies can adapt to changes, and so much more. Yeah, this is an awesome conversation. Even coming from someone from a, I would say, neutral or mildly skeptical perspective on crypto, I just always learned so much from Jared, and this conversation was, was really no exception. So I hope that you guys enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. So Jared, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you both for having me. I'm psyched to be here. And I'm really glad that we got to meet IRL the other day. In the capital of crypto, which is now Brooklyn, New York. That's amazing. Did they officially like plant a flag? There's been like a lot of dialogue around where like the concentration is, but I think that there's a strong argument that Brooklyn is kind of like the place to be, or at least the place Mm -hmm. where people are building the most interesting things. Absolutely. Okay, so let's dive in. I guess to start off with the most recent update on your life is that you have a new job. You're now (laughs) the newest partner at TCG, um, the Trenin Group, helping cover crypto investing. So I'd love to hear more about what this role entails and what motivated the move over to the investing side. Yeah. So um, one, thanks for having me. Excited to be here with you both who are also good friends. So that's always a positive. (laughs) You get to spend time (laughs) and create content together. This is Um, our excuse for (laughs) catching up with people. Yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. And it gets published and lives forever. So it creates memories. I recently joined the Churning Group, as you mentioned. really, really exciting opportunity for me that is very serendipitous as well. You know, over the past, I'd say six, seven months, I really have been diving back into the creator space and the crypto space. A common theme on your show, which is very relevant to my life, is that when you write and put things on the internet, crazy things happen. So I'd say about like nine months ago, and I think this is actually how I met Lee. I've known 
Nathan for a while. But I started writing about kind of new media models and been reading a lot of what Lee was writing as well. And it really started opening up a lot of conversations. And I started to think about, okay, like, what should I do next? Um, I'm a very project focused person. And I love the Washington Post and was there for a first tour of duty and then um, came back to launch another kind of product and business for them called Zeus Technology. And that you know, was coming up on kind of a massive milestone. And I was really thinking about where I wanted to put a lot of my attention and energy at that time in order, because it was like during a pandemic and, you know, you want to kind of stay put for those that don't know my background, I have twin boys. So I have to be somewhat calculated with my moves. I figured that if I started writing and started angel investing, that would really kind of allow me to really start exploring what cool opportunities could be next. And while I was doing that, I met amazing founders and companies. Like I was very lucky to meet Joe Albanese and work with Stir and Dennis and work with Mirror and, you know, a bunch of others and started to realize that that was really a deep passion of mine that I love working with founders. I'm super ADD. So I love the idea of working with a lot of companies and doing a lot of things at the same time. With the churning group, there was just a very serendipitous moment where people who are familiar with their firm, they're a very thematic firm. They relentlessly focus on the consumer and building out consumer platforms and media companies. And something that's been very on theme with what I was writing about and thinking about and something that was you know, on theme with what they were thinking about is that the importance of that in Web2 was very critical, right? You saw major communities and brands be born, especially ones that they were involved in, whether it was Barstool or Hodinkee or Meat Eater or Surfline. And the need for like their participation and the desire from these founders and companies to work with them and have people who deeply understand media operations, who deeply understand how to scale and can bring that value to the table. When you look at the companies kind of emerging in Web3, it's even more so. Like there's a lot of founders that are um, deep in engineering backgrounds. They're building products, they're building protocols, they're putting things out there. And it's kind of hitting that moment where these companies are really starting to think about scale and what they're going to look like and how they operationalize and how they staff teams and how they start to grow. So we just met at like a crossroads there. And if anyone knows the churning group, they move very quickly. So this entire thing happened extremely fast. I don't know the exact timeline, but I'd say in days and we're now together. So my focus is really to kind of focus on Web3, crypto, blockchain, kind of new creator worlds. The Churning Group has invested in Dapper and they're looking at a lot of other companies as well. So I'd say like the last thing to kind of round it off is that I've wanted to get back into the crypto space, the creator space more broadly, but definitely get back into investing in the crypto space. And I think there's a lot of firms that are currently working within the space that you know are kind of crypto investment firms or larger firms that have built reputation there. I think that there's a lot of firms that are very interested in getting into the crypto space, but it could be a very inauthentic type transition, especially because there's so much opportunity and so much hype happening around crypto. And I think the thesis behind what TCG has always done and how they work with companies and how they focus on building culture and how they focus on the consumer is such a natural need going into kind of the Web3 space that it just seems like such an amazing position for them to be in and something I just wanted to jump on and lead. Thank yeah. you. Super, super <laughs> exciting. Thanks. Yeah, I, I think everything that you described is it's a really interesting shift to have observed as a consumer investor over the last few years. I mean, I worked at one of the firms that was one of the first to be um, wholeheartedly investing into crypto. Um, 
in the last cycle. And having been at the firm at that time, I recall that I think back then there weren't that many overlaps with consumer applications and consumer software that people were using on a daily basis. It was very much infrastructure heavy. There were a lot of like developer centric tools and projects being built, but very light on the consumer side. And it feels like we're finally hitting this inflection point where there's a convergence of consumer and crypto, consumer tech and crypto. And obviously that is TCG's kind of background as well is is in consumer software and investing in consumer media and entertainment. And so I'd love to hear more from you on which areas of consumer you think are going to be really interesting in that intersection and whether you have like a high level investment thesis or there are particular themes that you're interested in diving into. So one is I think the most interesting opportunities right now in terms of investing in the crypto space is is kind of like what I'm calling web 2.5 which doesn't sound super exciting but I think it kind of hits on the theme that I'm looking to nail which is this idea of on ramps. When you think about consumer crypto you want to really think of what are the best kind of platforms or products that are going to shepherd people to see the value in this new space. You know, I think Coinbase was an amazing example of this, right? They built an application that allowed you to hold custody of crypto and buy crypto in the same sort of UX that you would use for like your Bank of America, like account statements and things like that and savings accounts. So those sort of themes I think are very interesting. And you see that with Dapper Lab, right? Dapper Labs really thought about ways to be able to do gateway transactions. So people who may not have a wallet or may not have bought crypto before can easily do this. A company that I love, which I'm very public about, and Lee, you work with them as well with Mirror, I think is a very similar one. I think Mirror is kind of creating an environment where you create content, you publish content. It's a means of comfort for a lot of creators and users, similar to like a medium and a Substack. But now all of a sudden you could crowdfund a campaign. You can split revenue between multiple writers. You can mint your piece as an NFT. Like it's really starting to show you the powers of Web3 kind of within a more familiar environment. And I think that there's a lot of opportunities there and a lot of companies that are kind of building in the space. You have games like Zed Run, where you have virtual horse racing. You have amazing sort of like DAO environments, whether that's Syndicate DAO, that's really kind of changing the way where you're thinking about investing and, you know, putting kind of reputation at the forefront, which really kind of lowers the barrier to entry for people to kind of get into this space in a way that they didn't know was accessible prior. So I think for me, that is kind of one of the more interesting pockets, especially when you're thinking about the consumer, you really want to think about a way that you could kind of drive consumer adoption in a environment that they're somewhat familiar with or somewhat interested in to start. What's like fascinating in the crypto space is the introduction of new media models for the first Mm. time. I think that We've been kind of stuck, and I've actually written about this in the past, that a lot of media models are very evolutionary, and you want to call commerce models, or you want to call native advertising revolutionary and all of these things, but they're really basically evolutions of two basic models, which have been advertising and subscriptions, and we've kind of moved through that process for a very long time and tried to iterate on that, and mainly because a lot of the models tied around creation were really kind of output models. It was all like post-publish ways to kind of figure out how you monetize. And I think what crypto has really done is introduce a kind of business model around ideas, a lot of pre-published model, a lot of way for people to be able to invest in things early, be tied to an idea, whether that's a DAO wanting to kind of be 
co-owner of a media company or, you know, having the ability to crowdfund an amazing idea and put things out there. So like those sort of things, I think really start to introduce a wide variety of kind of investment opportunities because you're really changing the way that media models are structured and set up for kind of the first time. I'd say like for an investment thesis, like it really is critical to kind of nail and figure out these on-ramps and how to bring more folks in. I think that that's happening like wild everywhere. Like I do think that there's a lot of attention on more sophisticated progress like DAOs and tokens and things of that nature. But there are so many kind of new gaming platforms that are coming out and really kind of rethinking the way things are done. You see things like Sandbox or Decentraland where people are now able to like purchase land and they're bringing, you know, events within there and you have like Fortnite type experiences that are living within there. And I mean, net net, like I just think you're going to get to the point where crypto is just going to be a default within existing web two applications or web three applications are going to start just bringing those experiences into kind of their realm. And you're just going to kind of see the benefits of both. And I think as investors and as builders and, you know, I think why a lot of crypto builders are interested in, you know, traditional kind of Web2 investors or investors that may be outside of crypto in their ethos is that I think that there is a strong desire from the crypto community to learn about how adoption has worked in the past, like really try to think about what on-ramps could look like. And there's a deep desire for that. And I think that's what's amazing about this community in general you know you you don't have kind of a culture of oh we know what we're doing and we're building it and if people figure it out great if not see you later there are attempts and there is this sort of collaboration to try to think about how you could bring people on board and how you can make it attractive i think it will get to the point where it's kind of like the ken kesey quote like you know you could get on the bus you could choose to get on the bus and continue to get on the bus but once it's gone you've missed it i think there is kind of like that sort of fomo cultural relationship there but i think for now like there is a deep desire to think about how you yeah. kind of thread the needle between two and three i'm curious what do people most commonly get wrong even if they want to build an on-ramp like what are what are the ways that products end up alienating people who maybe don't have familiarity with a certain set of concepts or there's a technical limiter or whatever. I'm curious, what are the biggest things people do wrong? And then also maybe what are some examples of people who are doing that really well in where they're creating those on-ramps and it's like something other crypto-like projects should study? I'd say crypto is a really interesting venue because traditionally when you're looking to drive adoption, you're really heavy on marketing, right? Like you're really heavy on storytelling and really trying to like show people why something's valuable and then through that marketing getting them to like sign up and do something and i think crypto because of its newness and because it is somewhat non-trivial you need to kind of like market by doing in a way and i think like that kind of goes back to like the on-ramp question it's like if you are just marketing things around blockchain or around crypto and you know, trying to get people to adopt it that way. People come with preconceived notions. They feel that it's too confusing. When they think about crypto, they associate it with Bitcoin or a currency. And it's not a real desirable way to get new adopters to really dig deep and really take the time and have the patience to kind of learn it. And I think that's where crypto, you have a lot of marketing by doing versus marketing by saying. Like you have products and platforms that are out there that are actually showing people what these things are and how they can be done and what it looks like right like i think like a great example is alex edelman who's you know i'm sure a friend of some of you and the whole idea around lolly was like okay how do you how do you build a product 
that gets people to easily learn and sign up for Bitcoin and earn Bitcoin, right? And that's not a way of saying this is why Bitcoin is important and you need to get on it now or you're going to miss the boat. It's thinking about ways where people currently consume or they currently transact, easy onboarding for them to sign up for a wallet and then they see the benefits. So I'd say that that's kind of like the one thing that I think some people are getting wrong. And I don't necessarily think it's the creators or the founders getting it wrong. I think it's consumers needing to be more convinced than traditionally because of everything that's been written and everything that's been known about crypto to date. There's so much association with Bitcoin and small pockets of it versus kind of the bigger idea, which is this is the next internet, which I firmly believe blockchain is kind of the next internet. I think there's a lot of people that get it right though, right? Like I've been a huge fan of what Rainbow Wallet is doing and really thinking about new ways to show how you store NFTs, how you leverage your crypto wallet for identity and how that could be a navigation path throughout different parts of the internet. I think there's a lot of companies that are doing like really interesting things that make the internet better and engagement on the internet better. There's this company called ArcX, right, that is dubbing itself as the passport for the web. And the whole idea around kind of what they're really looking to do is that based on your behaviors on the internet, right, like mainly like kind of code development in DeFi, but it's going to go beyond that. It's like based on your behaviors, you build reputation scores. And then as you're looking to engage certain communities or contribute to other communities based on that reputation score, right, it gives you more access or more opportunities. So you could really think about today, if you're, you know, on Twitter and you have a persona and you're on Facebook and you have a persona and you're on LinkedIn and you have a persona, all of those personas could be different. They're not necessarily tethered to one another. Well, what if your persona is literally one thing and as you move throughout all of these platforms it starts to curate and bring value so like i think like there's a lot of companies that are doing it right because they're deeply understanding not how to replace web 2 which again some people will make that argument and i don't necessarily think it's the right argument i think the people that are really thinking about how to make web 2 better and evolve it i.e how to build better reputation, how to build better incentives for people to build communities on the internet, how to really think about how you could store and easily transact. Again, I keep plugging Mirror, but I think they've done a great job showing traditional content creators the benefits of what Web3 tools can really do. And there's been a lot of writing on that from traditional writers that have said, wow, this is actually interesting. I do like the idea of crowdfunding. I love the term Web 2.5 and the whole idea of on-ramps. I'm, I'm very into on-ramps too. As I think about crypto, I think there's lots of like doors you can go in. Like if you think of it as a building, there's lots of different on-ramps and lots of different entrances. And one entrance gets you to like the Bitcoin corner and another one gets you to the NFT world and another gets you into <laughs> DeFi, etc. And so I'm wondering if you have a strong opinion on the specific on-ramp in terms of like actual consumer product that is going to be the most compelling to say like the next 10 million users into crypto? Like, is there a specific use case or goal that they're trying to accomplish, like gaming or art collection or yield farming and getting the best APRs on their money? Do you think it's going to be use case driven that is going to serve as like the biggest on ramp to future folks? It's such a good question. And I like that analogy. I never thought of it like going into different doors. But I think that's true. Like, and the more people that you talk to in this space, you realize that there is a hyper focus in a certain area and a desire to learn more about areas outside of it, um, yeah. especially in DeFi, like in conversations that I'll have with DAOs and other sorts of companies, they love the idea that, you know, we're kind of coming in with 
a media operational focus or a different perspective on you know how to structure and grow and scale because that's something that you know they admittingly haven't thought about but understand that is critical for their company. I think some of the most untapped and most interesting areas is in the wallet space. Mm-hmm. You know, you have MetaMask. There's a lot of chatter around Rainbow. I think like that is effectively like your internet identity and your key through a bunch of different doors per se mm-hmm. to like use your metaphor. Like, you know, I believe like a wallet will be a way to store money, a wallet will be a way to leverage reputation. Right now, when you go and sign up for yep. Substack, you may use your Twitter OAuth or you may use an email. I love the idea and how privacy compliant and privacy first like wallets are to be able, be able to do that. So I want to believe that wallets are going to be like the most massive on ramp because I think no matter what you do in the crypto community, that's going to be the most critical and you're going to want a way to curate that. However, when we talk about on ramps, that's still probably like not the easiest one, right? And, you know, it's actually amazing to think about how little wallets have created. And even though for us, it probably seems very seamless to be able to sign up for one, it's still very hard for the average user to do that. It's definitely too hard for me. I tried when John Palmer did his like essay as an NFT. I literally ran out of time and he had like sold out of his NFT before I could set out my fucking MetaMask. I was like, this is literally the worst thing ever. I don't know why anyone thinks any of this is any good because it makes zero (laughs) sense how difficult this is. And it feels so high stakes because it's telling you like you will lose everything if you screw this up. And so meanwhile, you're like stressed out. My opinion, not a good product. No. And like, it's nuts, right? Because you have MetaMask, which is the main product. And then you have like some challengers, but it's incredible to think about how critical a wallet is to the crypto space and how little competition or how little UX has kind of actually been put into this. Like I looked up a stat, I'm going to totally butcher it the other day, but like the amount of apps being submitted to the app store versus dApps being committed uh, like daily. And you have like the teens for dApps and you have in the thousands for apps. Mm -hmm. Like it's completely wild how little, how little amount of development is actually happening for a arena that has so much opportunity. I think the gaming space, I mean, it's an obvious answer, but I think it's absolutely phenomenal to kind of see what's going on there. You see what's going on with Dapper. You see what's going on with Zed Run. I think at least just from observation, but I'm sure the stats also associate, like I've seen the most people that weren't into crypto prior getting into crypto through those vehicles, whether that is Zed, but mainly Dapper Labs was just, or sorry, Dapper Top Shot was just such a massive vehicle for that. Another one that's like truly phenomenal that's happening right now, and I think it came out of CryptoPunks is what you see with like Board Ape Yacht Club. Are you guys familiar mm-hmm. with that? I mean, yeah. everyone who has like a Board Ape profile, uh, which is like wild. I am, but, but I think a lot of our listeners might not be. So essentially they're like a collection of, I think there's 10,000 of these NFTs. And in addition to being a collectible item, they're also kind of your access pass or membership into an online community. Exactly. And they nailed it. I think because of exactly what you said, Lee, like it's not just this like one of 1000 NFT piece that you could buy and you could hold or you could trade. But if you go to boardyachtclub.com, you know, you need to be a member, i.e. like you need to have the key tied to your ape in order to have access. And they do special drops for members only. And they're doing actual like physical merch and swag for members only. So they're really kind of cultivating community around that. But I do think that you're right. I mean, I wish there was one answer to just say where the on-ramp, the most desirable or the most concentrated on-ramp will be. But I do think that 
there are certain pockets and there is active development happening heavily concentrated in each of those pockets. And there will be some breakouts, like there will be an NBA top shot, you know, board apes may be the one for identity for like new worlds. You know, it may be a Decentraland or, you know, any of the other competitors, but I actually like that. I like that crypto is still in this space where there is a lot of excitement. There is a lot of development, but things are still weird where people just want to be in their own tiny pockets. I have a kind of theory about this that I'm really curious to hear what you make of it because you are way smarter about this stuff than me and think about it way more. From what I can observe, I think that most crypto behavior is driven by one of two goals. One goal is just to make more money. I want to buy Bitcoin and I believe it's going to go up. I want to buy Ethereum. I believe it's going to go up. I'm going to buy an NFT and I believe I'll sell it for more money than I'll be able to make someday. The second goal is for status largely within the crypto community. So it's like, oh, cool. Like I found this cool thing. There's this cool concept, whatever. It's interesting to me to think about. And I can talk to other people who are interested in the same stuff as me about. Door one of just like make more money is the thing that is like working super well and like kind of scaling. And it's like driving all the speculation and it's a positive feedback loop. The more people that make money, the more they tell their friends, hey, I made some money like on this thing. That's what's driving DeFi, I think. Like, oh my God, I can make like 10% APY or whatever. Like, can't do that anywhere in fiat world. And door two, it's a little bit more difficult and it's more fuzzy. Like, I think a lot of the NFT stuff is a little bit more door two where it's like, do you really believe you're going to be able to like sell your NFT for more money one day? Or is it just that you're sort of buying status within a community right now, which maybe will help you launch something or whatever? I agree with those two things. I think there's a third, which is missing, Uh which is real connection to other people. Mm. And I think it might be the most fundamental human need to like connect to other people and build relationships and communicate with them. And I think that is actually underlying a ton of the behavior that we're seeing. Um, Like I think NFTs are motivated by desire to connect to a creator and and like also Bordy Yacht Club desire to connect with this community. I think a lot of DeFi is actually community in disguise, like a very tight knit community of people who rally around different farms and whatnot like new tokens but they're actually there's a strong community underlying it so i think that's like actually another huge driver and i think those three things taken together are probably like the most universal most widespread human motivators out there yeah and on that third point i know it's a topic of this podcast but i know it's something that you've written about like when you think about kind of the unbundling of work and the future of work right you have people who come from all different backgrounds and certain disciplines that may have a shared interest or motivation towards something, right? And you see this in the DAO community. You see it with PleaserDAO, you see it with PartyDAO. And people, like, even if they have existing day jobs or they're working on something else, they could all come together within this community and they could build something. And they could, like, not just, like, build a fun side project, they could build a side project that ends up becoming a massive company. And I think to that third point is absolutely fascinating. I think people are meeting each other. When Mirror was kind of like working through PartyDAO, I think like Anish developed PartyDAO after like hearing about the like the need like or the interest of it. Yeah. yeah, from a tweet, two days later it's created. Then you have this entire kind of community being built on top of it. They elect John Palmer to be a product lead. And all of a sudden you, you like have this 100,000, you know, USD plus treasury and a company that's now being created. And I think that that sort of like value creation is completely wild, completely internet native, and comes from, I think, 
a desire probably Nathan like outside of the first two things that you mentioned I mean I think mm-hmm. I think like spe- like speculation absolutely like especially within the Bitcoin community forget it I mean like you right. look at the amount of development happening on Ethereum versus like any product whatsoever if you could name them being built on Bitcoin and like you could see the nuance like you could see the differentiation there but I think that like other pocket of people being able to come up with ideas get them funded create them right kind of put them into the ether put them into the space i think is just something that's completely new now like a question and it's something that i'm actually writing on now which is really interesting is like can all of these things happen without web 2 right like you have conversations about crypto and the evolution or revolution happening here and will it replace web 2 and so forth and when you really think about so much like hype and adoption and traction whether it's from any of those three buckets that you mentioned seems like it all happens through Twitter, right? Which is like a normal Mm -hmm. social media platform that, you know, has always existed. This is kind of my big question about the second two buckets is essentially, I don't deny for sure. I think like making money, gaining status within a group and having genuine like human connections or relationships or being able to build new things with people. These are all core human needs. My question is the essentialness of crypto to the second and third one. Cause to me, that'll determine the scalability of it. Like, how do you convince a group that's on Discord now that's like maybe they should be a DAO or something like to integrate crypto into their thing if all they actually care about is like making music or playing mm-hmm. uh, a game together or whatever? It's like I think the people for whom the sort of status or connection values are being met right now, it's over the shared interest of crypto. And that's just inherently going to have limited scalability. There's only so many people in the world who are going to be into any given thing whether it's a sport or a game or an art or a technology or whatever, there's a community. It's a great one. It's a growing one, but it's not going to probably hundred or thousand X. So as an investor, if you're looking for opportunities that are going to do that, like what is the essentialness of crypto to the human connection or to the status and within the group? Cause yeah, like you said, a lot of it's just happening on web two platforms like discord or Twitter. That's why I think the on-ramps are important. I think like education and literature is really important. I think education is important in like two different buckets. One is, people deeply understanding why crypto could be val- like valuable and how it could be additive. The other is really attracting the right talent into the crypto space. Like a lot of engineers or sales or marketers or those that have been like powering these platforms to really kind of move within here. And, and like right now it's predominantly dominated by people with financial backgrounds who are traders right. or, you know, people come from wall street. But I think through that education, there's a lot of benefits that just come to light where you think about if you were able to start to function a certain way with what crypto could unlock, it really starts to make the navigation experiences of what you do on Web2 better. I mean, a great example is like, what if on Twitter, right, your Twitter username was attached to a wallet and Mm -hmm. that wallet, right, is like a crypto wallet, but it's very seamless, right? It's like you have Jared Dicker on Twitter and and then you have a key tied to that. Well, now all of a sudden, right, if Twitter is a place where I spend most of my time, but I'm also a Twitch streamer, or I'm also on YouTube, or I'm also on Substack. What if I could seamlessly tie, right, like my wallet to all of those different things? So regardless of kind of like where I am, there's a central repository to where I'm driving revenue and where I'm kind of bringing value in. That's one thing where I think crypto starts to introduce something very interesting, which is like portability. I have portability. Yeah. And like portability to like where I drive revenue right now, I could be pulling things in from Twitch. I could be pulling them in from Twitter. I'm bringing them together. I'm using amazing products like Stir, right, to be able to kind of like figure that out. What if another evolution of that or an option of that is to just have a centralized way for me to have like a single wallet 
you know, that's tied to all these different things. The other is this like notion of ownership, which I think you can make the argument back and forth as to whether like ownership is really valuable. Like I am a huge advocate for the value of ownership. A lot of people who aren't into crypto will argue me to the ground about why that isn't the case. And, you know, there's like a lot of things to point to. I mean, we were riding Ubers and we were, you know, licensing Spotify and doing everything through Netflix, which is not owning anything, right? We stopped buying DVDs. We stopped buying CDs. We now license all of those things. So I think that it's a heavy argument. But the idea of ownership, I think, is also something that through education and people deeply understanding like what that could possibly mean brings a ton of value. And you're seeing it with the NFT marketplace space, I think you're really going to see it in interesting places like Decentraland or Sandbox, where in Second Life or in SimCity, right, like you like built this world, you had these things, but when you turned off the game, it was over. Now, all of a sudden, you're investing in buying a plot. Like I bought a plot on Sandbox the other day, which sounds like crazy. Like I like own this piece of land. We're talking to land architects about like setting it up and we want to build like basically like a sandbox hill road like a silicon valley where like founders could come and meet with us and we want to set up a zed racetrack next to it and it's like it sounds bonkers and crazy but it also sounds super exciting but the notion that i would own that right and if it goes up in value i could sell it or i could keep it there is really interesting so like having ownable purchases on the internet is pretty cool we yeah. think about domain names and how hard it's been to get a domain name or a username or things of that nature. When you think about that being something that you could own, it becomes interesting. So I do think that it's important to be skeptical. And I think the most interesting thinkers, especially ones that are building in crypto, should be skeptical of kind of their own perceived notions of things and think about how to kind of build against that. But I would always think of crypto as something like additive. Like, I think that it's a huge missed opportunity if so much of the energy is just being spent on like building the decentralized Twitter, building the decentralized Facebook, building the decentralized Substack, versus thinking about ways that those things could be iterative or additive on. And then eventually, if it gets to that spot, that's great. If not, and we could take values that are in the crypto space and enable them, you know, within Web 2 to bring them to a 2.5. I think that that's a huge opportunity as well, no matter what we're progressing. I strongly agree with all of that. I think to your original question, Nathan, like you could have asked at the very dawn of the internet, like aren't all of the things that the internet solving for already achievable? Like, can't we get information from the library? Can't we connect with friends via the phone? Can't we accrue status by spending money at the club, whatever. Right. And that was all true. But like the internet created new forms of achieving these things that were easier, faster, better, new from what we had seen before. And I think crypto will do the same. And I think the existing forms of accomplishing those goals will still exist, but there will be new forms of it that hadn't existed before. And, and those markets could be larger. Yeah. I mean, a massive one that is so small, but we see it in the NFT marketplaces is like, programmable royalties in secondary mm -hmm. markets, right? Now, if I put something on the internet, and I mean, like the best example, which is probably overused, but it's like when you think about ticketing, it's like if I'm dead and co, and I'm stuck releasing, you know, 20,000 tickets, and they all get sold, and then people are reselling them on the secondary market. Well, now there's programmable ways where I still reap those benefits, they go back to the creator, you know, there's like this whole sort of tethered way of thinking about the way that creative work or any original work is being kind of distributed, which 
you know, to the point that Lee was making is completely new and will hopefully influence the way that people are building these next sort of platforms in a new unique way because of the opportunities there. Okay, I want to get more concrete and turn our attention to this really provocative blog post that you wrote a couple of months ago called Substack versus Dow Stack, which is just really, really fascinating. Maybe just quickly for our listeners who perhaps haven't read it, you could just summarize the ideas of that post. So I've been writing a lot with um, John Glick and Tal Schachter and Brian Flynn, if anyone's familiar with them. Again, like it's crazy to go to Lee's metaphor of different doors. Every single person who writes is like definitely living in a different part of this house. (laughs) But then when we come together, we bring a bunch of perspectives. And like we wanted to kind of write an article, like really starting to think about if Substack was a DAO. At that time, you know, this is where there was a lot of conversations around who's writing on Substack and whether or not Substack should make decisions as to who can write and who can't write. And, you know, I'm very, I'm very indifferent on that. But that was just the topic du jour. So we wanted to kind of think about, okay, Substack as a platform right now, what do these sort of challenges look like versus if Substack was a DAO? And thinking about Substack as a DAO, I think is really interesting. Like when your readers or contributors are actually like decision makers and drive influence in the work that you create and the areas of topics that you really kind of lean in on, it really starts to build like a very interesting media dynamic that I think brings back a lot of value that has been lost, I think, in like the past decades plus of kind of media culture. And one Mm -hmm. example that like I keep kind of hitting on and we wrote about it with Substack and Dowstack as an example. And we actually wrote about it again, like a couple of weeks ago, when we kind of thought about local news is this kind of notion of when you're kind of writing something or when you're a media company, especially in the idea of local, you are providing a service to your customers, right? So when you think about kind of the idea of local news, traditionally, you would pick up the local newspaper, it would kind of tell you what's happening in town, it would tell you what new stores are coming in, it would tell you who's running for political office, all things that you needed to know, like in your daily life within your community. And as the internet emerged, and things evolved, and business models rewarded scale and larger distribution and thinking about subscribers and things outside of that, a lot of the value of kind of like local journalism and the services that it provided kind of went away because they wanted to focus on more national stories in order to get more scale, more audience, open the funnel on subscribers, and it really stopped becoming a service. And when you think about like what a DAO could introduce, right? and what that could really do for like the local news service, you could see it coming back, right? You could think about, you know, I live in a town in New Jersey, you could think about every resident in New Jersey effectively holding a token for the local newspaper. And, you know, the benefits of basically having that is you help drive the value and give purpose and give funding to the services that it provides, but you also get to like vote on topics that are most important. So instead of our local paper kind of reporting on a national news story that I could get from CNN or I could get from another platform like the New York Times. I want to know like why this 5G tower is being set up on my beachfront view and, you know, who's behind it and so forth. And like, it starts to become a really interesting dynamic and really bring back a different service element where people really feel a connection to the media property against local news is like kind of an example, but they really become participatory and a part of it, not just in terms of like sharing upside, which I think is valuable, but I think that takes too much of the dialogue and conversation around DAO structure, like, oh, we can make money and share on the upside. I think the influence 
part of things is even more interesting, like being able to have a say, being able mm-hmm. to drive influence, being able to instill governance. So like Substack and DAOstack, the whole kind of deep dive, and I strongly encourage like anyone to kind of read into it and, and dive into it and critique it, is really kind of saying, well, what if Substack was actually owned by the community itself? Whether that's individual publishers, right, having individually owned kind of um, community DAOs, or even on the larger front, every single person who subscribed to DAOstack, you know, would choose the writers that were on board or choose if writers should be accepted or should not be accepted. And what's really kind of interesting tied to those sort of things when you think about it too, and this was kind of a conversation that I had recently thinking about DAOs is going back to the narrative around like, is the value being able to kind of like share in the upside and see value or is the value influence? You think of kind of like what people desire most and you could like look at politicians in this country and it's like, the people at ultimate power or ultimate leadership roles aren't the richest people, right? Mm-hmm. But the richest people are trying to get to those people. So when you think about DAO structures too, it's like people want to put so much emphasis on the ability to make money and drive upside. But what people I think really, really, really desire and where they feel the biggest value is actually driving influence mm-hmm. and being heard. And with that comes the other thing as well. So it's just a very amazing like thought exercise to think mm. through and what's really driving people to do these sort of things. And I know I know you all are pretty familiar with DAOs too, and there's amazing ones like Pleaser DAO and Syndicate DAO and things happening. But in media, it does become a very interesting thing. Like if your audience and readers actually owns you as right. a publisher, what does that mean? Yeah, I think teasing apart the element of financial upside versus the governance of an influence piece of like, determining how the DAO is run and what they write about, et cetera. I think those are two very different, like I think those are potentially different segments of users and they could flow in and out of one another and maybe like even over the course of their lives, like a a different element will matter to them. Just like how if you look at the capitalization of any private company or any public company for that matter, there's people who really want to be involved and are very active investors. And then there's people who are just like, okay, this is a financial investment and please do well for me Mm -hmm. and never talk to me. (laughs) And those (laughs) people are both involved in capitalizing the company, just like how I think a DAO can have both constituents. And I forgot what I was going to say. It's super interesting and provocative. And I think the recent, like a couple of recent experiments come to mind. One is Kyle Cheka, I think that's his name's yep. new publication called Dirt, which he um, got off the ground via selling NFTs. So basically crowdfunding through NFT sales. And then those NFT holders are going to receive tokens that will entitle them to a bunch of different perks, like access to community, um, the ability to, I think, vote in like what sorts of pieces they write and what topics they cover as well as like first access to future nft drops that's like one interesting example of like a media company as a DAO. and then the second example um, that comes to mind actually is is something not crypto which was just launched today this is sari azout's new experiment yes yes like bounties it. for writers. I forget what she actually called it. And ghost knowledge. Yes. Yes. I think it's ghost knowledge. Yeah. Where basically anyone can submit like a bid or a bounty for any writer, any person out there really to write on a specific topic. Um, and so people are just like pledging money to various topics and writers that 
they would like to see actually deliver a piece. And so the last time I checked, I think the top piece was like Eugene Way writing about something. I think there was a request for me to write about like where does value accrue in the creator economy. And I think that is such an interesting example of where I think media is heading, where readers take more of a participatory role in actually shaping and guiding what gets covered. Because I think for too long, there's been this divide of the newsroom versus the readers. And the newsroom just creates something in a vacuum and hopefully the readers like it and they continue to subscribe. But what if we, I mean, in general, I'm really interested in how do we blur the lines between creators and users? Like, I don't think that there is a line. I think everyone is on the spectrum of creator. Like every creator used to be a user. The users of today will be the creators of tomorrow. And I think her experiment and as well as Dirt show how that could be more fluid. Well, it's so cool too to like Sari's thing just as a sidebar. It's so interesting that there's a dialogue around commissioning writers and topics and you with no mention of platform, right? Like you'd always think like, oh, is this done on Substack or this is something that's being crowdfunded on Mirror or this is something being written in the New York Times. Like right now, Sari's built kind of an environment where it's really about consumer interest to creator and Mm -hmm. it's like regardless of where you publish it's like you know if lee we want lee to write this topic this topic may be a tweet storm it may be substack it may be on medium but it's crazy that it's not part of the conversation and i think that goes towards everything that we've all been talking about for a long time which is like value is around the individual that's where the relationship is And the intermediary, right, has constantly changed, but the platforms have always been in between. And now you're literally having consumers asking commission creators work, you know, without any mention of a platform. It almost reminds me of like change.org or something like that. Like it's like a petition, Mm -hmm. like, hey, the people want this. We all want this, except for instead of just signing our names, we're like also putting down money. And so it creates more of an incentive because if you just see like, oh, wow, like 500 people want this, maybe I should do it or whatever. It's one thing. But to be like, oh, like if I did it, I would I know for a fact instantly I would get like five thousand dollars or something like that. Then it changes the calculus uh, a lot more for the creator. So that's really fascinating. And some like really awesome observation too that I think comes out of all of this, like whether it's what's happening with ghost knowledge or what happens with the mirror race or what happens with purchasing of NFTs, is that traditionally like reputation has always been on like the byline or the creator. So like you knew like who wrote an article or you knew who the artist was for a certain piece. And because of how like crypto dynamics work, but even outside of that, just the one-to-one relationship between creators and consumers, all of a sudden, like there's so much value and reputation put on the consumer, right? Like the person who Mm -hmm. requested Lee's article is now known and people are like, wow, like this person is interesting. I wonder what they do. I wonder what else they vote on. Like the craziest thing with the mirror race, I think is like less about who wins every Wednesday to be voted into mirror and more so like who voted for who, right? And you're starting to see this like amazing kind of like trickle down of reputation where it's not just like influencers aren't just people who write and publish. You want to even dive deeper and be like, okay, well, these people that I follow, maybe it's like Balaji or like mm-hmm. Jesse Walden's a great example. Like, like I want to get into Jesse's head all the time, right? And Jesse like wrote the ownership economy article 
few months ago, but like, who is he following? Who is he voting for in mirror? And that like sort of consumer relationship now is building reputation that I think people want to dive deeper on. And that's just been an amazing mm. phenomena too, I think. Totally. Just really quickly for people who don't know, what is the mirror race that happens every Wednesday? So mirrors is a, um, is a platform of creator tools on web three, but every Wednesday, so they have an amazing onboarding process. Basically in order to publish on mirror, you need to be voted in by the community. Anyone can kind of sign up to vote in the mirror race. It happens every Wednesday, I think three to five East or three thirty to five thirty East, excuse me. And if you're already in mirror, like if you're already a publisher on mirror, you have, I think 10 X the amount of votes that someone who's not already a publisher on mirror has and every week people could submit to be voted in to be able to publish and use the mirror platform they choose 10 people every week it's amazing like within the kind of like race they call it but basically the voting board there's a memo slot where people could kind of talk about what they'd write about if they were voted in there's all of this action on twitter where people are like campaigning to get voted like i can't tell you the amount of like dm activity i'm sure it happens to lead to that i like get like every wednesday of like people who are like vote right. for me vote for me but it's, it's the new upvote my product hunt we're launching today yeah exactly i it's call very- it the uh, i call it the social event of the week each week yeah it's yes. a place to, yes, see, to be seen. Like you want to be seen on the board. You want to be seen next to the right people. It's like a very visible signal of who intellectually you have affinity for. Yeah. One, it's a brilliant way to just get earned media because so many people have talked about it and, yeah. you know, it's really kind of built such an organic flow. But it also, going back to on ramps, right? Full circle, in order to vote in the mirror race, you have to have a wallet. That wallet allows you to do, you know, a signature where you don't have to purchase any currency. You're awarded right tokens, but it's showing people how this wallet could be used, how voting could work, all these different things that I think are just amazing advancements to getting people on board. Yeah, I, I think that's such an interesting point. Like people are accruing social status not by being the actual creator, but by doing a commission, coming up with an idea for a post that they could write, voting them into a new platform like Mirror, just kind of being in their circle, in their orbit, like that is a way to accrue status. It reminds me of Patrick Rivera's tweet, um, his term, non-fungible likes. Yeah, It's it's like a a way to express a non-fungible like, like everyone's like is different and you can actually gain status by liking things. Yeah. And and like with things being on chain, right? You're like getting into people's head. You could see it's like being able to have ultimate exposure. Like it would be like a UX nightmare, but it's like, I want to know like every tweet that Lee liked around certain topics. It's actually another project that Sari's working on. Sari's other project is like really focused on this idea of how do you get inside people's heads, not just their bylines, but things that they might have been mentioned in, things that they've contributed to. But I think you're right, like that is starting to build this online status, which I think becomes phenomenal because not everyone wants to do a weekly podcast. You know, it doesn't come easy to many people. So I think the idea that you could start to accrue status or showcase certain behaviors based on like what you're interested in starts to just open up awesome Mm -hmm. new things. Yeah. Maybe we should close out this conversation with a really softball question, which is, should every be a DAO? Should every (laughs) itself... Be decentralized. <laughs> or maybe maybe instead of the yes or no version of it, I'm curious, like what's the, like what would you recommend as an incremental step? What would be what's the on ramp 
if you were recommending one for a group like us that's like interested in crypto, but like, you know, there would have to be some immediate practical benefit almost to us. Like we're not laser eyed about it. You know what I mean? At least I'm not personally. So yeah, like what would be, what would be like the thing that's like the starting point almost? Yeah. So I think that there could be like a couple cool examples. I mean, one is, have you like been involved in any token access discords? Like where you have to be a token holder to be welcome within a discord? No, but we are, I basically just built our discord bot this past weekend that invites subscribers. So you have to be a paying subscriber, but it's like a Stripe holder rather than a token. Like we don't have a token, but yeah, it's the same type of thing. I think if you have community and you have subscribers, there could be really interesting things that you could start to like edge into in the Dow crypto space. I mean, I feel like the example of dirt and NFTs is really interesting, especially if you're looking to like crowdfund different side projects. Um, People are fascinated with that. It's really exciting. There's a lot of cool things that you can do. You know, you're not going to want to do this, but I think it'd be like if every subscriber like had an NFT and that NFT was tied to their subscription and, if you did, you know, digital merch drops, or you did kind of like exclusive content for subscribers or members, or if you wanted to do something with physical, you could tie that to an NFT and that NFT could kind of be tethered to the membership. Mm -hmm. I like the idea. I like the idea of social tokens in relation to governance. Like I know you bring on a lot of writers to every there's contributors. It could be really interesting, similar to like what we've seen in the right race, right? To kind of start to bring some yeah. dynamics, which is like, who do you think should be a writer for every, you know, and it's not something that has to happen through app mentions on Twitter, but you actually have some sort of voting mechanism. I think yeah. it'd be really interesting, but I'm not, I'm not going to convince you to make every a DAO. Like I do think I've gone through this exercise in so many different ways. Like should Washington post have a crypto structure and what i get down to which i think are really interesting opportunities for like legacy media companies is Uh thinking about like going back to this wallet notion like i felt like every subscriber on the washington post should have like a key right and that key would effectively like give them access but also could say okay like the Washington Post is going to partner with Boston Globe. And if you're a Washington Post subscriber, you get access to the Boston Globe for free as well through paywalls. And that's just seamlessly done without logging in just through like having right. a key or like kind of what Ben Wa- Thompson's doing with Passport. Have you seen this? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's not yes. really crypto based. You get tokens, which I guess are technically cryptograph- cryptographically secured, but there's no blockchain element of it. It's just about partnerships and tokens, like yeah. tokens in the lowercase t. Yeah. <laughs> Sense of the yes. word. Yeah. So like those sort of things are interesting. I mean, like, I think what mirrors shown that's really cool are the notion of splits. So like you have dual byline writers, you want to be able to split those revenues programmably. That's easily or, or easily done through splits. You want to do tip char. Tipping is really easily done or you want to be able to donate or do tips. Like we did a cool thing via mirror where we were talking about culture being built on blockchains about how like culture follows economics. And we cited like the top five, I think DAOs and the Dow treasury and any tip that went to the article was basically distributed evenly to those DAOs so that those DAOs could then fund development work happening through those ecosystems. So there's a lot of like philanthropic cool. I don't know if you'd consider that philanthropic, but like cool ways to be able to kind of like donate, and leverage because the transaction, I mean, again, I know you said signing up for your wallet was hard. Uh, so I'm on the other side of that, but there are amazing things that you could do via transactions right. once you have those things set up. Fascinating. Well, we should check in again 
and see how it goes. Cause like, I definitely think we're going to start doing at least some of this stuff, maybe not literally on the blockchain, but I think there's just a ton of exciting governance innovations that are independent innovations of blockchain, which are maybe made better by blockchain. And like, it would be interesting to, to like play with it. The, the, the exception may be NFT where it's like, that's obviously the only reason why that's interesting to people is because it's on the Ethereum blockchain. Anyway, I'm excited about this stuff and we definitely want to start doing some experiments. So we should check back in and see how it goes once we've learned yeah, some, of, and the, some of the stuff. And the amazing part about the crypto community is you could tweet out that you're interested and someone will, someone will build an application for you for free in 24 hours and you could see if it works. Amazing. <laughs> that sounds good to me. Jared, thank you so much for joining us today. This was such an interesting conversation weaving between so many different topics. We'll have to get you back on the show in a few months because I feel like everything is moving so quickly yeah. um, and we need to regroup again probably like in a week. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> once again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Had a blast.